0: But at the same time, I'm also aware of how humble the beginnings were. And you have to start somewhere. So I I became a believer in this slow laddering strategy, as I call it, where you take one step at a time, you move up the value curve.
1: So welcome to Outliers. This is uh... Podcast with Outliers, <laughs> so, and uh, I'm really excited, uh, you know, for this particular episode of Outliers, uh, to be sitting across the table, actually on the same side, <laughs> with uh, Sridhar Venbu, founder of Zoho, and uh, someone who I first, uh, I mean, I discovered, I can say that, in 2010 when I was with Economic Times. And uh, I learned about this company called Zoho, uh, whose founder uh, wo- had a very different model and approach. Uh, and, and that's not just, that's just not about bootstrapping, but the way uh, Zoho would go out and recruit uh, uh, its uh, you know, programmers uh, you know, from um, government schools, or sometimes dropouts, and turn them into Great coders uh, who would build products that would compete with Microsoft, Google. Uh, that uh, forced me to, you know, travel Chennai in 2010 and, and meet you Sridhar. I still remember that meeting. Yes. And uh, it's taken all it's been the... a long time, huh? <laughs> <laughs> long time indeed.
0: I'm sure you notice a little more gray hair.
1: Yeah, gray yeah. hair. <laughs> The grey hair, the mustache, <laughs> right, the <yeah>. little <laughs> French beard. So, yeah, signs of. Uh, also, one of the things I noticed over the past two years is Zoho uh, as a brand uh, started getting communicated more aggressively. I guess now you're what, thir- what, 30 million users? 30 million users, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so I have always noticed a, a great hunger in people I meet in the ecosystem who want to learn about what you did, why, and how. Okay. Simple three questions. So if you could just kick this off, Sridhar. Uh, if you can start with the early journey okay. in, in building Zoho or AdventNet, uh, right. for that matter. At that matter. time it's called, yeah. yeah. And why did you do things the way you so did? Then, yeah. and, and and start with that, and then right. we can get into some more yeah. specific questions.
0: So let's go back. I, when I finished my degree from IIT De Madras, I went to the U.S. to pursue graduate school, I went to Princeton, and I started, you know, even at that time, whenever I come across something there in the U.S., I'll ask, why don't we have it in India? Why can't we have this type of a company or any of these? And about 94, I finished my PhD, I joined Qualcomm for a job. that hunger increased. that questioning, why don't we have a call come in India? Why don't we have, you know, the Honda in India? I started reading a lot about business, about, uh, and to me that, I also realized, look, India you know, we have a billion people, now 1.2, at that time it was going to be a billion, now it is, we have crossed, well crossed it, right? And uh, I realized that being a poor nation and not having all these businesses are two sides of the same coin. If we had all these types of businesses, we won't be poor anymore, right? So the the way out of poverty for our nation has to be in creating so many of these businesses. Sustainable, long-term, durable, all of these. And uh, then I started, you know, approximately it was about 95 or 96, as I was reading about a lot of this, I came across the biography of Honda such Mr. Honda and uh, that created a powerful impact on me because it was the it was moment I realized, I mean, what humble roots he came from. He was actually a, a bicycle mechanic, bicycle repair as a teenager. And that's how he got started. He never went to college. He never had a degree. And then he started uh, you know, making bicycle parts and attaching an electric motor or something to it. And that's how Honda was born, really. We started making parts for other companies. I believe he was a part supplier to Toyota at one point. And uh, it came, it was born in a rural area in Japan with a background with no, you know, typical academic background we think of. And how this this man was able to create a global multinational from the roots in rural Japan. And it had a powerful impact on me. I said, you know, why aren't these things being done in India? Wow, and we have a vast population, so many districts, so many areas. I mean, still maybe 70% of Indians are rural. And why doesn't this happen? What, what is it, the problem? And conventional explanations: oh, we don't have the know-how. No, you create the know-how. I mean, in 1953, when Honda was born, he did not know how to create an automotive engine. He could not have known, right? So you created a know-how. So you create those skill sets. And I never was, I'm, I am know one of these things is I never ask, why doesn't this business exist? I think, why can't we go create it? And similarly, when I'm sitting in traffic, I don't curse the traffic. I'm asking, how can we avoid this? How can we put employees somewhere so that we don't add to the problem? Because <laughs> I am thinking, how do we be part of the solution rather than continue to be part of the problem and cursing the problem? we get into that mindset too much and we have to be or think in our little way, how can we be part of the solution? And for me at that time, it was clear that you have to create these long-term institutions, but you have to get started somewhere. So I was aware that a company like Honda is an institution, but at the same time, I'm also aware of how humble the beginnings were and you have to start somewhere. So I, I became a believer in this slow laddering strategy, as I call it, where you take one step at a time, you move up the value curve, the, the ability to create more and more sophisticated product mm-hmm. offerings, like how the bicycle to the, the you know automotive superpower. Now, and Honda along the way made, you know we still buy petrol generators. I mean, we are, we are kerosene generators. You see in shops, that's Honda. All of I mean, the same company makes Acura luxury cars and kerosene generators, right? in developing countries. So it's clear that there has to be an operating vision behind all this. And I realized that something like that can be done in India, and we can do this in software. Why software? Well, it doesn't require much capital. And we are, at that time, we are a very capital deficient nation. It's not very easy to find money in India. So I said we have to do a very capital efficient business, software is one, where only your skills matter. You don't need capital. That's how we got started, along with you know, my friend, Tony Thomas, my brother, Kumar, Sekar. We all came together, and we started this. It was a very humble beginning. Our Even though we had a long-term dream, our immediate goal is, of course, survival, putting food on the table, as it must be for any new business, right? You're, you know, the, the, the think uh, globally and act locally. Here, you can say, you know, think long-term, but act short-term. That's how... It convert that in from a space to a time perspective yeah. even though we had a long-term dream and a vision we still have to figure out how to eat today and this month and this quarter and this year right so that's what it translated it and to be looking at japan also is an inspiration for start with humble beginnings start with small products easy to do focus on niche markets where it's easy to penetrate there's not a lot of major big uh, companies, lots of money flowing into those markets, so it's easy to create a small niche. That's what we focused on. All those were vital teaching experiences, also talent creation experiences. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people who cut their teeth building such small products today are very senior execs in Zoho, managing vast, you know, development teams. But those early beginnings, the small scale experiences, were vital in their growth.
1: So. What were some of the early product ideas that, that came to your mind? And and how did you pick your early ideas? And what went it, behind that? it?
0: I, in fact, almost I would say I didn't even pick my friend Tony, who's you know, a very close friend, who's actually uh, our Zoho. Uh, uh, Eastern or board of directors. He's a key advisor for me, <laughs> now one of our founders. He actually had a network management experience in Bell uh, Labs he knew how to manage networks. And he had developed a small library for managing networks and a software library. And that became like a sort of a accidental beginning of the company in the sense that that took off. He put it out and that had some interest from customers. It turned out to be that small niche that from which you could grow into a first early revenue and get beginning of a company and then iterate the model in progressively larger and larger and larger markets. This idea itself is very sound. I mean, you look at our Durubay Ambani's beginning and how the applying that relentless focus and backward integration from Sari to polyester, polyester to polyester yarn, polyester yarn to petrochemicals. I mean, you see that backward integration, every step he is expanding the market footprint. That idea is not new we just up, we applied it in a different context we moved into small software markets and we served printer vendors for example our initial focus was printer vendors i personally have made a lot of sales calls and and convinced customers to adopt us you know these are companies like Minolta kiosaron rico xerox was an early customer and then expand the footprint so that is how we found our Putting in the beginning. Within about two years, the first one year, you know, we were treading water. It's, it's, uh, we made some money, but tiny, tiny amounts of money. We were, as they call the current term is ramen Profitable, right? Raman noodle Profitable. We, we live frugally, so we have some money. But next year it got better, and the next year it got better. In about two years we knew, you know, there's a business here. And that's ever since we've been at it, and just progressive stages of expansion. Uh,
1: How was the early team Uh, and how did you uh, pick the early team? Who were the first set of people you hired and why? Sir, well
0: before I hired, I mean these are my co-founders and we came together. You know, say we were fortunate in that we all share a common core philosophy everyone even today meanszo is a you know much bigger company and and my co-founders none of them have a flashy lifestyle everyone actually lives pretty much a good middle class life like we have always lived i mean it's, no one has any expensive taste anything and this is important because if say one of the founders insisted on i need liquidity right now i want to enjoy a lifestyle the company could have gone in a different direction right because a lot of times in startups any of these it's these philosophical disagreements that cause you know really translate into operating issues or whatever right or or direction strategy all that we actually agreed on core philosophies which is that we want to be long term in this it was probably about 99 i remember uh, an acquisition proposal came from our company this is in silicon valley at that time and we were offered 25 million dollars we acquired and we were maybe we had a one or two million revenue probably at that time 25 million is seems like a large sum of money for even people, today even today but it's mean, 99 top. <laughs> right and uh, i remember uh, i assembled our founders and uh, we all i said who wants to sell raise your hand nobody did nobody did then i said If this whole thing crashes and burns, we amount to nothing. Would any of you have any regret? No regrets. That's the key, right? We turn down the thing. Would you later regret it, right? Or are you going to regret it? No, no regrets. It's okay if it crashes and burns. We will continue to live this way. No, nobody is going to starve to death. We'll continue our current lifestyle, which is we are comfortable with. Nobody is in this for upgrading our lifestyle. There's a mission driven thing. So no regrets. Then I said, forever will not solve. okay. Today we'll make a binary decision, forever there's no question. It's sort of like saying forever I'll remain a bachelor type of a thing, right? It's the same thing here. This is the last time we'll ask this question, the last time we've answered it, we won't serve, that's it. That was done in 99, we never look back.
1: So so acquisition was one thing, uh, the other thing is your philosophy on the venture money. Why do you hate VCs?
0: I don't hate, I mean contrary to, look. There is a critique, there's an intellectual critique of venture capital. It's not about, uh, I don't hate them personally. I have a lot of friends, good friends in we see. My problem comes from, you know, first the term venture capitalist, you take this, right? I mean, I respectfully offer a better term, it's money broker. Because, you know, you take institutional money, you place it with someone, and you take an annual commission. Let's call it what it is, it's a commission the 220, the 2% is commission, right? Intrinsically, when you're operating with other people's money, you have time horizons there, you have to show and all of that. So the model compels them to act in certain ways. It's not about personal, it's not about my like, personal values. It's like when I have adopted a model, I have to operate in a certain way. And here, I have raised institutional money with maybe a 10-year lifespan, which means that when I invest in something, I have only for 10 years I get paid the 2%. That's a typical fund life cycle. And uh, I have to expect a liquidity or an exit from my portfolio company within that seven, eight, whatever years, right? 10 years, you know, I do only my fund, so maybe it's maybe 12 years nowadays, 10, 12 years. So that creates a certain compulsion in these companies to grow, grow, grow faster. You can't take 10 years, you have to do it in five years. Compress. Try to compress it in three, right? This has consequences. Every business, every this thing, I call it there's a certain natural speed limit, intrinsic speed limit that arises. So where does that come from? That's your maturity of your products, maturity of your team, maturity of your leadership. You know, I run a company with 5,000 employees. If I had to run this 15 years ago, I would have sucked at it. I mean, I, I wouldn't have known how to do it. So you you grow into these things. Literally, you are growing into these things. There is a certain speed limit of this growth. If you try to push it faster, just like on in the road analogy, you get accidents. You'll get accidents, and uh, you know you'll crash into people, you will cause harm. So that's why it's important to respect those natural speed limits. It may differ from business to business, it depends on the landscape, just like in driving condition. You have a beautiful highway, sunny, visibility is indifferent, you can grow fast, go faster. But if you have foggy conditions, night, lot of crowds around, you want to grow go, go slower, right? the same thing with growth. It, it, it differs from company to company, context to context, market to market, all of that. But you have to know intrinsically. But <coughs> VC time cycles don't work that way. You are the same seven, eight, 10 year lifespan, regardless of the business. But now come to the Indian context, what I said about Honda earlier. I mean, if Honda had been a VC funded company in Japan in 1953, by about 65, they would have declared failure or maybe a mediocre success. because by 65, they hadn't done any magic yet, 12 years into it. They survived, they had something, but they were not magical yet. All that happened subsequently, right? I mean, it's similar to us. I mean, we, we are in the 21st year, we are launching Zoho One today, the biggest biggest product launch in our history happens in the 21st year. I'm proud of it because, you know, it just takes that long in India because we had to create the talent pool. We have to create all the expertise, cloud, security, all of that. We cannot just summon it into being. I mean, we look at Silicon Valley and we think, those companies grow so fast. But there is an existing context I mean, you go back to Cisco, they hired people from prior generation, HP, uh, Intel, all of that. Then you come to Google and Yahoo, they hired from SGI and all those companies that existed earlier. And then you take Facebook, they hired from Google. and they. So the moment Facebook takes off, they can hire 300 engineers with core skills from Yahoo and Google, all of those. So in a sense, Facebook, depends on the existence of those earlier companies. When you hear about the PayPal mafia, that means that 10 years later, the PayPal's existence 10 years before made a difference. Without having created a PayPal, how can we have a PayPal mafia, right? <laughs> that's, that is the problem here. I mean, we have actually, somehow we think that we could leapfrog all those faces, and VCs think that thought, and I disagree with that. I don't believe that that's even possible. I think that you have to go through these stages of evolution, You cannot short-circuit them. Just because your financial timelines call for it, you cannot... (coughs) Cultures and skill sets, all that don't evolve that rapidly. And Silicon Valley has an overwhelming advantage. It can import people from anywhere in the world. Right? And In India, I mean, we have to to, to live with our talent here, and we have to create that. I mean, we are still a developing country. The meaning of that is, our fellow Indians don't have all the skill sets yet, and you have to create that. And you have to have patience to create that. So if you have a four year, five year time span, you don't have any of that patience. You have to operate in that hyper speed, and it's not possible in every sector, and particularly in you know, creating durable companies, durable technologies, long term, all of that require the time element.
1: I'm, I'm really enjoying this, Sridhar. The choices that you made one or, for example, saying no to an acquisition or no to so-called venture capital mm-hmm. uh, money. Or, sorry, the term that <laughs> that we used. Uh, did those choice making did that choice making make journey tougher? Existential crisis in some ways.
0: Um, never. We never actually ever. Uh, I mean, we could go out and raise a billion dollars today if we wanted. So it's by choice we're not raising it. I mean. As I said, even if I critique VCs, if you can show them a good return, they'll fund it. That's how it is, it's not personal. It's not like hey, you you criticize us, so therefore we won't fund you. That's not how it works. You show them you can make the money, they'll fund you. That's how VCs work. At. That's you know, I respect that. But as I said, the philosophy has to be different operating in a context like India. It has to be different. Japan you know, Germany, these are good role models. There are 100-year-old, 150-year-old German companies, Swiss companies that are leaders, world leaders in their respective fields, multiple generations. We have to learn from those in India. We have to create those companies here.
1: Shreetal, one thing I'm picking is the kind of examples you're talking about. Because I have been like really trying to understand the source of your conviction. Like it's one thing to decide. It's another thing to stay on that path yes. for so long.
0: Is that The Japanese, Germans, Swiss, a lot of inspiration for me from all those companies. They're the right role models. Role models for India, because, see, think about it. Uh, You, look, we are starting with, we have to create those skill sets. We have to create, part of the reason is also, see, America is an immigration, immigrant nation. India is not. I mean, (laughs) we have to be, because we have 1.2 billion people, we have to figure (laughs) out how, how we create opportunities here. And we haven't created that. Where is the question of immigration here, right? We haven't created the opportunities enough for our own fellow citizens here. So it's not a question of, you know, if you need this security expert, let's get this from Russia. If you need this expert, let's get from Slovenia. I've met, you know, just last week, I met uh, an engineer in a startup from Slovakia in Silicon Valley. Like I was thinking, man, you just assembled from all over the world and you create. That possibility exists in a few places on earth. Uh, by its nature, America is that. I mean, maybe Trump will change it, I don't know. But by its nature, that's how the country is. India is a different nation. That's why I look to Japan, look to Germany as inspiration. That's why I say, I use that.
1: Uh, so, if, if, if other thing people say is the context in which a company is yeah. born. And that also determines what philosophies you mm-hmm. embrace. Right. If you were born with Zoho today, would you have taken the same path?
0: I, you know, these are thought experiments where it's difficult to say sure. or no. My philosophical output, outlook did not change, and I, and I say that even now. I mean, I challenge people. You think about. I mean, there are entire states in India where there is not even a, a single technology company, single million-dollar technology company. We're not talking about a billion-dollar technology, technology company, billion-dollar technology company entire states, large states that exist right now. And there's millions of kids are born there. There's opportunity. So we have to think those thoughts, how do we create you know, companies there? How do you create opportunities? Because a company means employment opportunities, an ecosystem. We have to create all those. And only with the long-term outlook, the outlook that I'm married, to, this is my life. That's the only way to create those things. I mean, Honda I talked about. He ran the company till towards the end of his life, and then it passed on to the next generation. He created all those leadership. So the company 30 years after the founder passed away, it's still a vibrant company. India needs those types of companies. It's a very important point. It's very, very, yeah, it's very critical for our future as a nation.
1: <coughs> uh, it, it, I'm only focusing on the first half before I get to the next half yeah. about the recent competition and other uh, le- lessons. In, in those early years of building Zoho, AdventNet, and Zoho later, what are the key lessons uh, that you could share for anyone who is starting up?
0: Yeah, so these are not some big uh, grand lessons here. Be frugal look for where there's opportunity, look for, I actually remember early days, like around the time we were operating in these niches, there was a massive internet boom, dot com boom happening. I stayed away from it because I realized these companies are raising 20 million, 50 million and, and burning it and we can't afford it right now. We can't go into a pissing contest with them. So we stayed away from some of those. People would have said, hey, if you had entered that, maybe it would be bigger, but we won't be the same company. We had entered that. We don't have all the expertise immediately. And if you wanted to do it in India, that would be impossible. Then we would say, we can't find the talent in India, therefore we relocate it to Silicon Valley or something. That's that's a different company. It won't be this company. It would be a different company. To create this company, I had to think that way. And so that frugality, that looking for niche, those opportunities, we remain at the edge of things and looking in, in a way, But... That suited us because I felt that that's the way to create, you know, long-term bonuses. All, all of these progress happens at the margin, yeah. not at the center. So you have to go from the margin towards the center. You can see the Zoho suite. That's how it has been. We have taken from the margins of software, we are going to the central problems of software. And
1: a lot of people also talk about Zoho in the context of software products in India. <laughs> Was, was there a template for you to, you know, when it comes to building a product? Because primarily in India has been a services okay. nation. That's why the examples you are taking, you have not taken even a one software services company for India for obvious reasons. But how did you go about thinking of products?
0: Yeah. So this again, we had to figure these out from scratch. and Our early efforts were kind of amateurish. And we... We learnt by doing, we learnt by making mistakes, all of that, and uh, I was still aware that quality is only going to come from that painful, painstaking process of learning. I was never faced by the fact that today it's a maturation, that was not a problem. I said, we are going to improve, we are going to learn from this, we'll do our next version better, next version better, right? So that was the mindset, that was the thing, and I'll give you some... Core lessons there, take uh, project management and software. I learned early on that you know traditional belief in software, particularly in the services industry is, you get a set of requirements, you create a, a schedule or a project plan, you execute to that plan. And this analogy trains running on time is often used there. But you've got to keep the train running on time. When it comes to a software product, that's a completely wrong analogy to apply. And the reason for that is simple. it's The analogy, it's not like running a train on an existing track. That's not what software product is. It's more of cutting a path through an unknown terrain, through a jungle, through mountains, unlaying the new tracks, and then running the train on it. <laughs> it's a different challenge. Yeah. It's a totally different challenge when you think about it. One is very predictable, measurable. And this one is subjective, you have to improvise on the spot. You're coming with a problem. There is twist and turns in the terrain. You have to totally you go on one path, you you say this won't work, scrap it, go on an alternative path. Any notion of a schedule goes for a toss. I used to, in fact, this was an early realization. As early as maybe 2002 or three, I came upon this profound observation that. Software product schedules are not really computable or trackable that way. So you cannot create ahead of time. Next three months, will will next two years we'll launch this product and this is how all the things are going to be. Instead, what we do is we, are, we start working on it and then as we go along, we improvise. We see milestones. We look at the software, we use it. We think that this doesn't work. These parts don't work. You would go redo, redo this. So that whole idea that you write down a complicated spec requirements and then execute to a plan, you have to get over that mindset. It does not work in software products, or really any kind of high tech product. It doesn't work.
1: So. <coughs> uh, one of the final questions on in this section is uh, because of, of, of the choices you made in terms of you know the philosophies and all that. <coughs> You would only attract a certain kind of talent, number one. Number two, your ability... A lot of people also look at entrepreneurship as wealth creation. For good or bad reasons, I'm not getting into that. What do you think of that and what do you think of your ability to... Well,
0: see, there is real wealth creation and there is financial wealth creation, right? A lot of these two notions have been confused for quite a while. In fact, this to a different field. We have now globally have got into this mindset that wealth means financial wealth. That's completely <coughs> not true. I mean we are measuring it by a stock market valuation, bond, this and that. But in reality wealth means, you know, physical plant and knowledge, capital, all of those, culture and I mean Hypothetical example. right? Sure. You take a city of half a billion people, two cities. One of them has a GDP per capita $30,000. Other has a GDP per capita $5,000. You think one is rich, the other is sort of middle thing. But suppose I added context. One <coughs> of them has a murder rate that is 10 times other. Which one would you consider more wealthy now? Suddenly it confused the picture now. All this changed. One of them has 40% of the kids born out of wedlock. The other one has 0%. You see, what is wealth now? Suddenly, you have, your notions of what is wealth, it changes now, suddenly. you—you, you, Which one would you rather live in? Would you live in a place with 10 times the murder rate? Would you live in a place where maybe 10% of the population could be in the criminal justice system? All of those. GDP is suddenly becomes, you know, the GDP is not telling me something very important about this. So it cannot be all, unfortunately, in the last part, particularly 40, 50 years, this is a Milton Friedman world in a way. Milton Friedman, look, is a great economist, I'm an admirer, but he was profoundly wrong on one thing. He said that the entire purpose of a company is to create wealth for shareholders, or to focus on profit, create wealth for shareholders. I said bullshit. Professor Friedman cannot decide for me what my purpose as a businessman ought to be. Just like I cannot decide for Professor Friedman what is life's purpose ought to be. Life's, the whole idea of you go back to on the other hand someone like Hayek. You cannot question the motivation of why somebody operates. You cannot say your motivation ought to be profit. Who says <laughs> my motivation ought to be this or ought to be that? My motivations are my own, right? That's Unfortunately, we have taken that Friedman thing as a dogma, and all business has to be focused on only financial value creation. It's profoundly wrong. This is not how the Germans or the Swiss or the Japanese have operated. Look, money is a fuel. I mean, publisher O'Reilly had this great quote. He said, when you go on a tour in your car, of course, you need to make sure you don't run out of gas, so you need to know where the next gas station is and you have to fill it up. But you are, you know, your tour is not, purpose is not to visit gas stations. So as he said, life is not a tour of gas stations. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same thing with money, right? Money is, is, a, is a means to an end, but you have the ends beyond just going to money. So good life. So it goes back to, again, what is a good life? I know, From Buddha to Aristotle to Plato, all of them have pondered on these questions. These are not new questions. So we have to have a notion of what is a good life. And my notion of that is that you have to have enough for people to have a good life, meaning everyday needs are met, and you, know, you eliminate the common hassles of life, all of this. But to me, it's not, you know, I don't want to be driving a Ferrari in Chennai streets, that's not to me a good life. <laughs> I'd much rather go solve a problem or how do we solve a traffic problem? That's to me a good life. It creates more you know, happiness for me. So that's how I look at life.
1: Okay. So, what is, uh, other thing is issue, uh, the issue with the topic of culture and, and how do you describe Zoho's culture? Now you, you're saying you're a company of 5,000 people. <laughs> From, from then to now. And how, how do you describe jo- Zoho's culture? How do you preserve it? And,
0: uh, uh, see, one of the, Zoho is a, I like to think of ourselves as a modest, humble company inside. It's an unassuming culture. I mean, you don't see these uh, big egos anymore. And we want to keep it that way. I mean, we, everyone goes by a name, not sir, all of that. Particularly Indian culture, that's important. And second, we don't make you know, the status distinctions among employees. People get paid what, according to their contribution, that doesn't mean there's some status distinctions in the company. That's something that we avoid. And it's and because of our the growth we have had, it's a very youthful company. I mean it's a, it's know you come and see it, you'll see the the energy and that brings its own energy. So it's a energetic and um, without those pretensions of anything. In fact uh, within Zoho, you know we always teaser each other on how we suck. <laughs> That's a good way to think about it, you know. I don't want to ever think that we are some we have achieved something great. How we suck is how we Talk only people I mean, in a jovial way not in a blame way and people will always point to you know bug in this product bug in our product this and that and that's a good culture and that's and we have a thing that we don't want to penalize someone for telling the truth yeah. if something we do sucks we <laughs> say it sucks it's important so that truth telling i mean once you have that once you avoid this ego it goes back to buddha right ego is the root of the root of our suffering. We can somehow, you know, urge it out of our thing. Even that earlier question about wealth. What is the meaning of wealth? Do I want to show off to other people? Is that wealth? That's not the wealth I'm interested in. Wealth means that, no, it's commonly in our country we have actually not understood the Buddha at all. He didn't say, renounce everything to end suffering. He said, do it in moderation. He didn't say, go to the... For us, live like a monk, deny yourself everything. Don't kill yourself, seeking enlightenment. But be moderate. Moderation in all things. That's the same thing here. Moderation in even our enjoyment of the pleasures the, the of life, the good things of life. That's so we see
1: it. Thanks, This ends the first part. <laughs> if you want to grab some water, please yeah, do. Yeah. I'll be done in like uh, another maybe 30, 25, 30 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, the f- first time we met in 2000, uh, like 2010. You said, 10, so 10, 2010, 2010 yeah, yeah. sorry. It, I mean, clearly, I'm assuming culture was there and, yeah. you know, past two, three years, I, I noticed uh, a lot more uh, aggression when it comes to communicating the Zoho brand. So I think in, in this part, the next 20, 30 minutes, I really want to understand the enterprise software landscape globally. How is it competing with you know, your Microsofts to Googles of the world. What have been some of the key achievements or failures on that front from Zohar's point of view and get into more recent landscape? So how has it been, Sritar, competing uh, with them or yeah. building products uh, that compete with them?
0: Well, there's a fundamentally different vision here, right? We are, uh, at our heart, we are an Indian company and we are well aware of our landscape, our our Context around us. And I mean, while in the US, Salesforce can charge $200 per month, it might even be reasonable in some context. Some companies can afford it. But the number of companies that can afford it in India is minuscule, tiny, that kind of pricing. So they'll solve it through one on one negotiation, meaning if you ask hard, they'll give you a discount. And if you bind Zoho, they'll give you a discount. That's how they operate. Which is deeply unfair when think about That means you are penalizing the customer who's, who's, who's not asking you about Zoho. We don't like all those practices. We don't like that way of doing business. We want to treat our customer fairly. They come to us, they know they are getting a fair price. We won't take advantage of them. And particularly in the Indian context, it has to be very, very affordable. Super affordable. I mean, look, we are a country country with $2,000 per capita GDP. Well, in the developed world, you're talking minimum $25,000, $30,000. So it's 15x, So we have to create companies here that can serve our needs, at price points we can afford, and spread technology. I mean, in that sense, you look at our, the tremendous job our cell phone carriers have done, and thanks to, of course, the Chinese, the smartphones we enjoy, Unbelievable prices today, right? It's great. It's, and this is something that I praise the Chinese for because so much of the living standard we enjoy today is because of those, you know, the, the Chinese have worked hard to grant it to us. But we have to do give them something in return, right? What, what do we do? We import all this. What do we do in return? We have to create these companies that create this affordable products, high quality products and offer it to the world so that we can enjoy the fruits of the rest of the world and offer it to us. So I believe in trade, but we have to be—we have to also be able to participate in it, give something. And in that sense, our vision for—we our difference with the enterprise software world is that they are treating software as though it is some kind of a scarce commodity. It is not. I mean, once created, software is—it can be replicated ubiquitous, right? But they are pricing it as though it's scarce, and then they are spending most of that money on customer acquisition. You're creating an artificial scarcity, and then spend most of your money persuading the customer why the artificial scarcity exists. I say, tear down the barrier, remove the artificial barrier, and create at a super affordable price, and expand the market considerably, substantially, tenfold expansion. I mean, today in the cloud, there's maybe about 50 million paying subscribers across all the cloud companies together with a lot of overlaps, right? When you say Dropbox has this many and, and uh, Box has this many and Microsoft has that many, there's overlaps among them. And so it's 50 million unique paying customers, paying subscribers today across the business. But there has to be a billion. We have to think about how do we go to a billion? And a billion person, two billion person markets, the price points would be very different. And only us playing out of India can think about it that way. So that is why we are fundamentally different from them.
1: They haven't tried to buy? Uh,
0: not a Microsoft or Google. I mean, they know we are not for sale. I mean, it's, I mean, if you want to sell, obviously, there'll be many interested parties. But we have made it very clear that we're not for sale. One I mean, of... Salesforce tried, but that was way back. Like almost ten years now, well, we said no. We and we were tiny then. Zoho was a tiny piece then. I mean, it's a the credit they foresaw something coming. I, I give them credit for that. But we said we are not going to sell. So. Uh,
1: the other thing I noticed in Zoho's journey is also you. You actually built a, a product which could be used anywhere in the world. Uh, and, and some of your early success came in in very tough markets outside. Why? Why was that? Why did you not start with India?
0: Well, we still had, I mean, broadband penetration ten years ago was minuscule. The smartphone did not exist yet. The iPhone only came in 2007, so the environment was not yet conducive in India. But India was a great. There's an explosion of talent coming, so we could use it. So we seek markets where they existed. But we always kept an eye on India. I mean, we are Indian. I mean, we are here. So as the market developed and developed, and we, we are finding more natural home ground to hunt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the another thing is, uh, you talked about PayPal mafia. We already see a Zoho mafia. Yeah. And, and a lot of us look at Zoho as the <laughs> mother from where a lot yes. of software entrepreneurs are coming yeah. out. And we will get into uh, details in, in a bit. But what do you th- uh, think of, 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 of that uh, in, in the sense that uh, when, when people come to you and say, I want to quit Zoho to become an entrepreneur, what do you tell them?
0: Yeah, well, I never to talk them out of it. I mean, I'll say, What can I make it so that you'll stay? But if they are set on it, I always wish them well. And in every case, you know, we parted on good terms. I was aware in 2004, I declared that if we succeed brilliantly, a lot of new companies will be born out of us. As as early as 2004, I was aware that this will happen and I'm perfectly comfortable with this and I'm happy for our contribution because see, we are not just creating a company here, we're creating an institution, that's what I believe and we're creating a know-how and skill set on how to create products in a variety of areas. how to make them into businesses. Those are all what Zoho is actually teaching. Remember, I, when I say Zoho University, it's I think of Zoho itself as a form of a university. Just a different university in, than something with classrooms and only this. Here there's learning going on all the time. And you know, the other favorite whipping boy for me is the business school. I've said that the most useless degree in the world is actually an MBA, right? And most useless, absolutely, take it from me. And Zoho has, I mean, proved this because we have created so many entrepreneurs. More, I mean, almost none of them have any of the fancy degrees, MBAs, nothing. And they go on hire similarly, right? They go and hire the Zoho way because they've learned it in Zoho. And I, so the learning that happened is, happened in Zoho, we continue to nurture people like that. And of course we hope a lot of them will stay and look, for every person that exists, there are 10 people in Zoho, similar skills that are there in Zoho. Still, that's why we are growing so fast. So, we are aware that we will create more of these, and that's good for India, that's good for Chennai. And so, it's. I'm, I'm happy about this. I'm actually very
1: happy there, about this. There's no secret sauce that you hold no, on No, there is to.
0: no secret. Look, the most, you know, The most important secrets are all open secret. There's nothing mysterious or magical about any of this. It just, you have to, like, how does a Honda go from a bicycle to a luxury car? It's a systematic process over 20, 25, 30 years. It didn't happen overnight. If you have that, if you are a 20-year-old, 25-year-old, you have that 25-year horizon, you can do it. But do you have the staying power? Do you have the persistence? Do you have that commitment to that cause? That's what is important.
1: Uh, in your view, what is the future of enterprise software product itself? From what you have learned, yeah. What if, I mean, can you paint a, a sketch a decade down, yeah. a decade out? Right. Where are we headed, really?
0: Okay. You think about something like SAP enterprise software, or even Salesforce. Any of these. Like, if you want to know how it works, it's an arduous process. I mean, you you first you can't even get it in the sense that try to sign up for an account. I mean, you'll be qualified and this and that, evaluated, prodded, everything. I mean, your wallet will be weighed before they let you in. That's that's the truth. I mean, try, try getting to know what SAP does as a software. It's impossible. I mean, it's for, a, for an average person, right? It's impossible. Unless your budget is a million dollars, you know, they don't respect you. And so you can come online, five seconds you are in. Everything is exposed to you. You can see it. And within, you know, within... A week we can learn it has to be that ubiquitous that's our vision of software and it has to be that easily accessible then what happens is there is a cultural process of technology adoption it's a cultural process not just technology when you think about it 10 years ago if anybody had predicted so many smartphones will be sold this will become the primary internet device in india and there'll be hundreds of millions of Indians coming online thanks to the smartphone, particularly Android phones, particularly all the Chinese phones, all of this. It's even not believable 10 years ago. In 2007, it was not believable. Even in 2010, when we met, the smartphone as an Indian phenomenon didn't exist yet. In just the last about five years, it has taken off. And how does a person in a village learn to use WhatsApp and Facebook? They learned it, and these are not trivial things. That's the cultural adoption technology. If you make software ubiquitous, people learn Zo CRM to Zo books to survey all of these through that cultural diffusion process. If you make it accessible, ubiquitous, and you also learn, how do I make it easier to use for the person who is, who, I mean, for that 50 millionth user, who's not going to be able to ask for support. They don't have access to anybody to ask, how do you make it accessible? And in the same way, when you have 100 million users, there's cultural diffusion. If you want to know, how do I take a screenshot on Android? You just go and ask (laughs) the person next to you, they know how to do it, right? That's cultural diffusion of technology. Google didn't come down and teach us how to use Android. We just learned it, figured it out, also WhatsApp, I mean, they reached a billion users with like 50 employees. They didn't take a support call and teach it. So that process will happen in enterprise software as well. I firmly believe it. Our mission is to make that happen.
1: Godspeed with that. Yeah. Should there have there been abject failures in your journey?
0: Lots of, you know, <laughs> see.
1: What are the most fainted. successful failures? <laughs>
0: Uh, look, a failure is only a failure if you, if you never recover from it. Otherwise, it's only a setback along the way, right? And lots of times, we have gone to try and create a product. Our first attempt internally is a miserable failure. We never ship. Maybe a second attempt is so-so. Then we only ship the third attempt that we make. It has happened. That has delayed our. Uh, launch of some products and uh, sometimes some technologies are more complex than we have the current know-how for then we realize we have to go create those skill sets and then only we can get into these areas so those are all things we learned along the way in the course of this and so we have had lots of those and we still continue to have those and we will continue to fail hopefully all of those failures will be internal. I like a lot of internal failures because then you know then we go out in the public we have a much better offering, right? Uh, interestingly this technology that makes it easier, right? We for example every product we hosted for our own first our employees. That's now five thousand people. So you're going to get a sudden influx of people internal and they're going to be brutal in their criticism, right? <laughs> if we can't pass that the product is we won't ship you got to make employees happy first, and then we go to the broader world. So a lot of, those are all the setbacks, launch, part failures, all of that. We get to do it outside of even the public eye. And that's great that we
1: are able to do that. Final two questions. Yeah. Uh, Shritar, uh, as a storyteller over years, uh, what I see of engine SaaS or enterprise software product, people are beginning to talk about these two ways of doing it, right? And uh, th- this new wave is clearly coming from your mafia, Girish of Fresh Desk. And they're saying there's a Zoho way and then there's a Fresh Desk way. Clearly, very different Yeah. in every possible way. Uh, if someone wants to become an entrepreneur today, uh, you know, bright person, someone as hungry as you. Uh, what, what, How would you ask that person to look at these two models if they are looking to learn?
0: First look at yourself inside, I mean, the answer has to come from who am I, question. that's our oldest truth of Indian spirituality, right? It's not about me advising them, it's about who are you, I mean, what is your inner conscience, what does it say, what does your inner voice say, listen to that. Uh, Choose the path that works for you. I mean, you, you cannot, look, no one becomes a guru by only taking advice from other gurus. <laughs> There's no such thing. Gurus will tell you that. Maybe they can point to a path, but you must walk yourself. So ask the who are my question and, and adopt whatever suits you, suits your internal frame of mind, your philosophy, your values, your your religious perspective, if you will, that's the right word here. So adopt that. That's what I will say. I mean, I I am happy to share our experiences, what has worked, but don't follow us. I mean, follow yourself.
1: Uh, that's, that's well said. Our uh, well, final question, Sridhar, is why are you doing this? And I'm asking that question with. Uh, sometimes when you ask questions, you, you already have, th- you are thinking of answers in your mind, so I want to clarify what. You know what, what is what is that legacy that you want to build with Zoho, especially given these strong philosophical stance that you have taken? What do you want to be remembered as? What do you want Zoho to remember?
0: Yeah, so I, as I said, I look at Zoho as an institution, and we want to put down strong roots in our communities, so customers for a long time, and nothing, look, One thing you learn from Buddhism, nothing is forever. Nothing is forever, okay? Like this body will perish one day, maybe Zohar will perish, everything, right? Everything, everything ends, everything passes. (laughs) I made my peace long ago with it. In fact, Steve Jobs said once, right? The thought that you're surely going to die one day is the most liberating thought in the world. That's true, actually, I find this to be true. In some finite number of years, I won't be around. (laughs) That's guaranteed. Absolute guarantee, right? So then what, I hope the company lives longer than me, much longer than me, that's my hope. And we want to create, put down those roots, create an institution, and we want to stand for certain moderation, Buddhist moderation of life itself. What I mean is that, you know, along the way, we also have to have a, enjoyed life, enjoyed doing it. Like it's an example, I mean, I am, I run a business with 5,000 employees, but I'm not stressed out running. I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. I live in the moment, I've always enjoyed it. I've never, I've never had a, a sleepless, night, sleepless night about it. I never had stress, all of these.
1: I think that's one thing I see unchanged in you, yeah. I will be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, and this is important for anyone, because if you don't actually enjoy the journey, They're not going to last very long. And similarly, your people have to enjoy the journey. Because if you are going to go past the stress to other people, they won't last in the journey. I mean, I'm proud to say there are people, employees, who are now 20, coming up on 21 years from the earliest days. And there's lots of 15 years, 20 years. Because you see, as the company evolves and adapts and changes new technologies, all that, Something core remains, and the core is that this whole outlook, this, this whole thing that it has to be out to even senior people in Zoho who have actually made, you know, decent what's of money live a, what they call that moderation in lifestyle. That's important. Uh, that's important because that then translates into, you know, you don't go overboard, avoid extremes, be moderate. That maybe hopefully it'll go on for a long time before it passes who knows <laughs> <laughs> everything will pass someday right so.
1: thank you it, ah. it, it's really enlightening talking to you thank you thanks so much and god speed with your everything thank you. you want
0: to thank do thank you thanks. appreciate it thank you